0: to give put those hands together and give God some praise. Come on, give God some praise in this house. Hallelujah. Isn't God wonderful? And then we praise God that he's wonderful. We praise a wonderful God. We praise a wonderful Savior. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. We're grateful to God for each of you who've come to join us on this Mother's Day. Amen. Why don't we give our mothers a hand? Come on, why don't we give our mothers a hand? Amen. We're thankful to God for all of our mothers. We praise God for you, for the sacrifices that you've made on our behalf. We're grateful, uh, particularly for our godly mothers who have raised us up in the admonition and the knowledge of God. I think that is the greatest gift that you can give to your children is to teach them about God, to teach them the importance of having a relationship with God. And we praise God for all of our mothers who have done so. Thank God for the mothers in my life, to my grandmother, Dorothy Christman, who's back there today. I praise God for her. Amen. To my mother, Brenda Christman. Amen. To my wife, Carissa Christman. Amen. I praise God for her. Amen. And even my mother-in-law, Calla Fisher, uh, there in Parsons, Tennessee, I praise God for her. Amen. All of those women have had a profound impact on me and on who I am. And I thank God for them on today. And I'll get back to them in a few moments. For those of you who are joining us virtually, we praise God that you've come to join us uh, here on Mother's Day. I pray that you appreciate your mothers today, not just today, but every day. Show them that you love them and that you praise God for them. In addition to Mother's Day, we had another special occasion. We praise God for Sister Brittany Holman, who recently graduated. Amen. Thank God for her. We celebrate her, amen, on this morning. Amen. It is an outstanding achievement. Amen. You have to come through many trials and storms to get to where she's gotten, and I praise God for her. And I just know that that's another new beginning. Amen. And we praise God for new beginnings, for new outcomes, amen, for new opportunities. Amen. Praise God for that. This morning, we're going to the word of the Lord, and I'm doing something a little different. I was compelled to do something a little different on this morning relative to Mother's Day. You know, we've been in our series, The Relationship Contract, and we will continue that on next week. But on this Mother's Day, I was compelled to do something that's a little different. Uh, I've gotten to an age, I guess I'm pretty much getting to middle age now, and I've learned to appreciate people while they are alive. Amen. And when you're young, maybe you don't think about that as much. But as you grow older, you begin to appreciate people while they're alive. It's nice to say wonderful things at a person's funeral or their memorial service, but they don't hear them. that that target audience uh, is lost. Their ears have fallen deaf on the words that you're offering. So I felt it's important to celebrate people while they are alive, while they can hear you, while the words that you minister to them may still have impact. And that also is not just a benefit to them, but it's also a benefit to you. So I encourage you to do the same. It's good to know that you spoke good words into their heart and into their ears while they were alive. And don't wait until after they've passed to give great memorials. Do it while they live. And for those of you who are listening, I pray that you'll do the same with your mothers and to everyone who's meaningful in your life. Tell them that you love them now. Tell them how much they mean to you right now. Tell them how good they are to you right now. Don't wait. You don't know. You don't you may not have another opportunity to do it. That's one less thing to regret when someone is gone. One less thing to regret by telling them how you feel, tell them how much you love them and how much they mean to you while they are alive. Relative to that on today, as a Mother's Day message and as I begin to think and contemplate what I would prepare to share with you on this morning, God gave me this. There are four women who are mothers that are important to me in my life. And I just mentioned them, my wife, my mother-in-law, my mother and also my grandmother, and I just praise God that at my age I can still say my grandmother. Amen. That's a blessing. Amen. She's she she'll be 93 years old this year, and that's just a blessing to still have her. And I want my message today. The topic is very simple. It's just called four mothers, and I want to talk today about four mothers. Each and I'm not giving really one message. I'm really giving you four small messages. And I felt that each mother deserved their own message. So I have a scripture passage for each mother. I have a point for each mother. It's basically a message for each of the mothers that are meaningful to me in my life. Amen. And I I think if they if they can, they'll show a picture of those mothers for those who are watching virtually. Show a picture of those ladies who are meaningful to me. Praise God for them. Again, that's my wife, my mother-in-law, my mother and my grandmother. And our message this morning is simply called for Mothers. We're going to begin in Ruth chapter one. And we'll be looking at verses 16 through 18. Again, that's Ruth chapter one. And we'll be looking at verses 16 through 18. And my first message talking about the first mother that I want to discuss today is about my wife, Carissa. Ruth chapter one, verses 16 through 18 from the English Standard Version reads like this. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God. My God, where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Let us pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, bless us and touch us in these few moments. Allow our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to be open to what you are saying to us, even through this Mother's Day message. In Christ's name we pray. Amen, and God bless you. Mother number one, my wife, Carissa. She reminds me of Ruth, and Ruth to me signifies loyalty. My wife, she loves hard. She's loyal. To whom she loves. She will fight for who she loves. She will fight for you. She will wake up in the morning thinking about you. She'll go to bed at night thinking about you. She will ponder and think of ways that she can be a blessing to you or she can help you. She's loyal in her love for people and that's why she reminds me of Ruth. Ruth was committed to stay with her mother-in-law, even though doing so seemed contrary to her interest. It seems like it would have been better and easier for Ruth to detach from her mother-in-law, to find her own way, to find her own place. And it would have been better for her to stay amongst her people, where it would be more likely for her to find another husband. For those of us who are familiar with the story of Ruth, Ruth and Ruth and Naomi was Ruth's mother in law and Naomi's father, Naomi's husband had died first and then her two sons, which were born to her, were both married one to Ruth and both of her sons died. So her husband was dead and both of her sons were dead. And now she was left with her two daughter in laws. She spoke to them, and she cried and pleaded to them to leave them. That's what we see right before our text. And one of them decided to go back home. But but Ruth said, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be loyal and remain with you. For those of you who know that are unfamiliar, Ruth was a Moabitess. She was of the children of Moab. Now, Naomi was an Israelite and she was of Bethlehem, later known as the city of David, which came a little bit later understand the context of this particular message this time period here of Ruth took place during the same period as the judges if you remember the story of the judges oftentimes God would send the judge and then in between the judges the children of Israel would go back astray and it said everyone did what they seemed right to them in other words they were not following the Lord and this is what we find this is where we find Ruth and Naomi In fact, it was uh, it it was a diversion from what God had spoken to his people for Ruth to even be married to her husband because she was the children of Moab. And she was not one of the children of Israel. God had specifically told them to marry amongst their own people. But as it was occurred during the judges, people did right as what seemed to them. So therefore, they had taken a wife in Ruth who was of the children of Moab. But Ruth decided, even when Naomi decided to return to Bethlehem, to return to Israel. They had dwelt in the land of Moab for a while. And the reason they had left Bethlehem is because things had dried up there. It seemed like it was a famine. They were in lack. There were very few resources there. So they had gone to Moab and her children had taken wives amongst them, one of them Ruth. But then after a while, after her husband and and sons were dead, she decided to go back to the land of Israel to return to her home there in Bethlehem. And Ruth decided that I'm going to go with you. I am going to be loyal to you. I am going to stay connected to you. And if if anything, I want to share with somebody. I want to let you know you need to be careful who you connect with. And then when you connect with somebody that God has told you to connect with, you need to have the same attitude that Ruth had. Ruth said, I'm connected to the right person. And because I am connected to the right person, I am not going to allow that relationship to be suffered simply because my husband is dead. What now what Ruth was recognizing is that she was in a symbiotic relationship. Naomi was old and advanced in years. So Ruth was a helpmeet to Naomi because she needed someone younger to assist her and to help her. But also Naomi was a help to Ruth. Naomi was the person that legitimized who Ruth was, because, as I told you, Ruth was a Moabite. She was of the children of Moab. If you remember Moab, give you a quick history lesson to go back. Moab was the son and the grandson of Lot. I know if you remember the story. Remember when Lot and they and, and they left Sodom and Gomorrah and then his wife turned into a pillar of salt. Then Lot's daughter said, well, let us lay with our father so that we'll have children so that we can continue uh, our lineage. So both of them laid with their father, Lot, and they both they, they produced children. The children they produced was Moab and Ammon. Now, if you think about the Ammonites and the Moabites, those were two of the primary adversaries of Israel. So we always talk about Esau battling Jacob and their lineage battling. And we also always talk about uh, Isaac's lineage battling with, with his brother's lineage. But a lot of times we, we leave out that Abram's lineage and Lot's lineage were also in battle. So when you hear about the Moabites and the Ammonites, those are simply the sons. And grandsons of Lot doing battle with Abraham. So the illegitimate group of Moabites, that's where Ruth was from. But she was connected with Naomi, which was one of the children of Israel. So she recognized this connection was important. and It was something that God had allowed in her life. So she was not going to allow that connection to be saved, to be severed. She understood that her connection was with one of God's chosen people. Naomi, she also understood that it's important to never relinquish your position with God. Never relinquish your God given position. Never relinquish it. For those who are watching us virtually, I want you to put that in the chat. Never relinquish your God given position. How many blessings do we miss simply because we move out of position? That's all the devil has to convince you. Some of you are waiting on the devil to convince you not to be saved. No, what he has to do is just get you to move out of position. And if you do, you know what happens. You miss your blessings. You miss your blessings. You become discouraged. You become discouraged. You start falling away. You don't come to church as much. Your your faith suffers. You're not as connected and committed to God as you were. All the devil has to do is convince you to move out of position. Ruth said, "My my position is to be connected to this woman who is of the children of Israel. I'm going to keep my connection that God has given me." She not only becomes connected to Naomi, which connects her to the promise. Remember, now because she's of Lot, she's not part of the promise. Lot didn't receive the problem promise. Abraham did. Abraham's seed was part of the promise. So Ruth was on the other side of the promise, but through marriage, she became connected to the promise. So she said, as long as I remain connected to Naomi, I'm connected to the promise. Oh, I wish somebody would help me in here. I I, I wasn't born into the promise, but along the way, God connected me to the promise. So if I sever this connection, I am no longer connected to God's promise. Never lose your connection. Never lose your connection to God's promise. Somebody look at look at somebody point on and said, don't lose your connection. <laughs> she understood that she was connected to the promise. She was not born into the promise, but God had allowed her to become connected to the promise. And, th- and let me show you how connected she was by staying with Naomi. She got so connected that she met Boaz. Uh-huh. Boaz was one of the children of Israel. So by being connected to Boaz, which is part of the promise, she consummated that relationship with the promise, and then her child became one of the children of the promise. I want y'all to get this. She wasn't born into the promise. But she made sure that my children are going to be connected to the promise. Now, now I want you to get this. For Ruth to be connected, she had to follow somebody else. She had to follow Naomi to stay connected to the promise. But because she had a child, get this, who was born into the promise. He didn't have to follow anybody because now he was part of the promise. So you know what? Instead of following other people, people would follow him. She she stayed so connected to the promise that she made sure that her child, guess what? If somebody's following, that makes you a leader. She made sure that her lineage would be leaders. Let, Let me tell you what kind of leaders she gave birth to. Ruth gave birth to Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. I wish y'all were here with me. She she was the great grandmother. Come on in here with me. Great great grandmother of of David. Now we know David's lineage leads down to Jesus. We're talking about a woman who was loosely connected to the promise, but because she refused to sever her connection. Come on in here with me now. She didn't have to, her children didn't have to follow the promise. Her children became the promise. If you stay connected to the promise long enough, you won't have to chase the promise. You become the promise. I wish somebody were here with me this morning. I'm just talking about Ruth. She refused to sever her connection to the promise. Now, I'll tell you how how this works. Now, some of you all see my daughter walking around with me sometimes. And you might get the false impression that she's a daddy's girl. She's not. She's a mama's girl. But what I found out, Brother Chuck, is that when we go shopping, she suddenly becomes a daddy's girl. When we start shopping, she's right there connected to me. And she's connected not to the promise. She's connected to the wallet. <laughs> she stays close enough to me to be connected to the wallet. She keeps following her around. I say, ooh, daddy, that, that looks good i was like, well, okay, baby, you want one of those? And sooner or later, Daddy buys it for her. Keep walking around. She's like, ooh, Daddy, now I need one of those to go with what you got me earlier. It's like, okay, baby. Let me get you that because it, it can't be by itself. It needs something. If you come on here with me now. Can't just buy the shirt. You got. You got to get. You got to get the skirt to go with the shirt. And you can't just buy the skirt and the shirt. Well, later on, you know, well, dad, I need some shoes (laughs) to go with the shirt and the skirt. She stays with me because she's connected and she will not sever that connection because she knows her blessing is in being connected. And I want to let somebody know that your blessing is in being connected. I'm going to give you this and I'm going to move on. Loyalty to your promise will put you in a position to give birth. To your purpose. Loyalty to your promise will put you in position to give birth to your purpose. Never lose your connection to the promise. The second woman I want to talk about is my mother in law, Cala Fisher. And she reminds me of Mary, particularly in this story, which is indicative of wisdom. This particular passage you find in St. John, chapter two, verses three through five In St. John, chapter two, three through five. It reads like this. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. My mother-in-law is a very wise woman. You talk to her for long enough. She presents things in a hilarious and funny way. But there's a lot of wisdom in what she says. She loves telling funny stories. But in each one of those stories, you'll see her wisdom and you'll find something to take along with you. She reminds me of Mary, particularly in this story. Notice how Mary, listen here, she diagnoses the problem. Finds the solution and presents the whole matter to Jesus in just one sentence. Diagnoses the problem. Finds the solution and presents the whole matter to Jesus in just one sentence. What is the, the only thing Mary says to Jesus is they have no wine. That's all she says to Jesus. She says something else, but it's not addressed to Jesus. The only thing she says to Jesus presenting him. The problem is they have no wine. The last thing she says is not to Jesus. It's to the servants who are with him. She says, whatever he tells you to do. You do it." in between. She ignores Jesus saying, woman, what does this have to do with me? My my time has not yet come. She didn't even acknowledge that Jesus said that. In my imagination, being the son of a strong black woman, I imagine Mary simply gave him a look (laughs) and then said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And if I can go back in time a few thousand years and translate that look, that look said, I know you're Jesus, but I'm still your mama. (laughs) And I I, I don't know who's in here, but 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 some of you have just gotten the look. Come on now. It it seems like women, particularly ethnic women and mothers, they have a way of looking at you that doesn't need any other words in between. You don't have to explain. In fact, let me tell you some of the looks I got when I was a child. I, I got Brother Terrence. The don't make me come over there and get you. Look. Okay, <laughs> You got any hands? Anybody ever got that look? <laughs> Have you ever been talking and you talked out of turn and your mother gave you the shut up right now? Look <laughs> like you, you were trying to participate in the conversation and the shut up right now is a quick look. It's like and you just knew to shut up at that moment. Have you ever been? And this this is a good one, because this this takes a lot of skill. Have you ever been on the other side of a room and your mother could not reach you? But she gave you a look that said, you better sit down before I come over there. I don't know about you. I got all of those looks. And I'm just believing somewhere in between Mary saying her first sentence and her second sentence that Jesus probably got a look. They said, I know you're Jesus, but I'm still your mama. (laughs) See, wisdom in here that we find is in recognizing that an impossible situation has faced you. And as quickly as possible, presenting that problem to Jesus. Let me say that this again. Wisdom is recognizing the impossibility of a situation and as quickly as possible giving that situation over to Jesus how many hours of our lives have we wasted trying to solve impossible situations that were always and i say always intended for Jesus they came in our direction but they were intended for Jesus i remember the king when he when when he, when he was I think it was Jehoshaphat when he was when he was faced with an impossible situation. No, it was Hezekiah. And, and, and when the kings came against him, he took the letter that the kings presented to him, and then he went and immediately laid it down at the altar of the Lord. He said, This is not my problem. This is God's problem. But the situation is, and this is sometimes our issue, is we accept the problem, we work on it, we let it stress us out. Instead of immediately handing the situation over to Jesus, the songwriter said that problem that I had just couldn't seem to solve. I prayed and I prayed, but I just got deeper involved, but I turned it over to Jesus and I stopped worrying about it. I gave it to the Lord and he worked it out. The problem is sometimes we hold on to it too long. Sometimes it's just simply a matter of us letting go. And giving it over to Jesus. Paul, Paul, said, my, Paul said, Lord, I have a thorn in my flesh. I need you to remove it. I'm trying to take it out myself. But God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, it's not mine. It's not yours. It's mine. God is saying to us so many times, the battle is not yours. It's mine. God's speaking that to somebody right now. He's simply saying, give it to me. I remember a test that teachers would give us and some teachers still do it. They gave us a test and it was very complicated. It was long. It had a whole bunch of instructions and a whole bunch of problems. The problems sometimes were, were severe and then some of the problems were just weird. It asked you to do strange things. And then in the middle of this test, in the middle of this problem, I saw so many people. We would rush to get to the problems, and begin to try and work on it and begin to try and solve these seemingly impossible tasks and these seemingly impossible problems. But then, Sister April, I recognized that some people got up real quickly and gave the paper back to the teacher. And then in the middle of it, I began to realize if you read the instructions carefully. The instructions said, put your name on it and hand it back to me. It didn't want you to solve any problems. It said, if you read the instructions carefully, put your name on it and give it back to me. I'm going to help somebody this morning because God wants you. There's something that you've been handed. God said, I just simply want you to put your name on it. And turn it back over to me. And the reason I want you to put your name on it is because when I return your deliverance, your deliverance is going to have your I wish you were in here with me. Your deliverance is going to have your name on it. Your your breakthrough is going to have your name on it. Your blessing is going to have your name on it. This was not a matter of confidence. It was not a test of competence. It was a test of obedience. And I came to tell somebody right now, you're in a possible situation. It's not a test of competence; it's a test of obedience. And God said, "All I want you to do is to give it back to me." Somebody touch your name. Somebody pointed someone and say, "Give it back to God." Now, I want to talk to you about the third mother. Third mother, I want to talk to you about is my mom, Brenda Christmas. She reminds me of the Shunammite woman who was a woman of great faith. We're going to second Kings chapter four, verse 26 from the King James version. Second Kings four and 26 reads like this. It says, run now, I pray thee to meet her and say unto her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. My mother is a woman of great faith, and she doesn't say much, but she trusts God. She's often quiet, but do not mistake her quietness for weakness. She trusts God to simply do what she cannot. She's unassuming because she allows God to speak for her. That's why she reminds me of this Shunammite woman in this text. There is a quiet confidence about this woman. That believes that despite the current state of her circumstances, God's got this. Somebody just say that for me. Say God's got this in fact, I just want you to speak to your situation right now. Everybody in this place, everybody that's listening to this stream, I want you to lift up both of your hands. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think of whatever situation that you find yourself in right now in this moment. And I want you to declare at the top of your voice, just say, God's got this. God's got this. Say it like you mean it. God's got this. God's got this. Oh, I felt something move in the atmosphere right there. (laughs) I felt something change over somebody's situation. It's just acknowledging that God's got this. I'm not in control of this situation and I was never intended to be in control, but I want somebody to get in your spirit that God's got this and because God's got me, God's holding me up, God's bringing me through, God won't let me fall where I am right now. I dare to say it again, say, God got this. Shoot a white woman. Let me finish it. The Shunammite woman, she, 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 there was something about her. She, 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 the people around her were a panic. She didn't even tell everybody what was going on. As soon as her son died right there in her lap, she just, she said, saddle up the donkey. I'm going to see the prophet. And then they asked her, is everything going to be all right? She said, it is well. And at that moment, she said, it shall be well. And the reason she said it shall be well before she got to the prophet is because she hadn't handed it over to God yet. (laughs) I want you to get that in your spirit. The only reason she said it will be well is that she had to relate it to the prophet. And once she knew it was in God's hands, once she spoke those words to the servant of the prophet. She changed it shall be well to it is well. Because she knew, as soon as she turned it over to God, it was accomplished. It was done. That was the confidence that this woman had. And notice, if you go further in the text, there in in uh, in Second Kings four and twenty-eight, you skip down there, you will see that she basically says to the prophet, and as she is speaking to God, she's like, "I didn't ask for this, son. Didn't ask for this. You told me." Come on in here with me. I need somebody who's walking with me. I didn't ask for it, but you told me I was going to have a son. You told me I was going to get pregnant. I didn't ask you for anything, but I'm, I'm operating based on what you told me. And somebody's out there in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a situation, and you're sitting there with the same testimony to God. You're saying, God, you didn't bring me. I didn't bring myself here. You brought me here. I didn't go here on my own accord. I'm here because you told me to come here. I didn't ask for this, God, but you told me to be here. So, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to deliver me from where I am. So the woman is saying, I I didn't ask for this. You, You told me that I was going to have a son. And sometimes we need to recognize the hand of God in our own lives. If God told you to do it, why are you worried about it? If God said you're going to have it, why are you crying about it? If God has already spoken over that situation, why are you losing sleep over something that God has already ordained? If God said it. I wish somebody were in here with me and had some faith. If God said it, God said it, then God's going to take care of it. If God said it, God's going to make sure it's accomplished. Because heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of God's word shall fail. If God said it, then I'm trusting God with it. Somebody point at your neighbor and say, trust God with it." You ought to trust him with him. So because God's got it, you don't have to wait until the battle is over. You can praise him right there in the middle of it. Because I know that God's got this. If he gave it to me, then he will preserve it. If he spoke it over my life, then he shall bring it to pass. I'm not going to worry about what God told me. Because if he said it, then he's going to handle it with somebody. Somebody say yell again, say God's got this. I want to tell you something. God is telling someone the next thing you ask for. You might hear a no. But because I promised you, I'm going to turn that no into a yes. So Somebody's right there right now. God told you to do it. And you went out and investigated And somebody told you it's not going to happen. Somebody said, gave you a no. But God said, because I said it. Somebody said, because he said it. God said, because I said it. Some of you in a medical situation, they gave you bad news. God said, I told you, so I'm turning it around. Some of you applied for a house and they said no, but God said, I told you, so I'm turning that. I wish you were in here with me. I'm turning that situation around. God said. Somebody said. Uh, you told me to apply for this position. You told me I was going to have more money. You told me there was going to be an increase in my finances. I went out and they told me no. But God said because I said it. Somebody said because he said it. God said I'm turning that situation around. Oh, somebody turning around with me right here. God said I'm turning. That situation. Has God ever turned the situation around for you? God said, I'm turning that situation around. Let me tell you my story. I, I've given this testimony before. God had told me a few years ago, he said to apply for a position. He said, I'm going to what the word that he's spoken. He said, I'm about to take you your salary to another level. And then I applied for something and it looked suited for me. It looked perfect for me. I said, this is mine, brother. Chuck, I know you got testimony. You can be with me. I said, this is mine. This is what I applied for. I know this is what I'm going to get. But then I did not get it. I was more qualified than some of the other people that applied for it. And I, I still didn't get it. And then, you know, what happened by the end of the year? In fact, not only did I not get it once, this was a more insult to me. They hired three people for that same position. So not only did I not get it once, I felt like I didn't get it three times. Felt like there were three people who were better than me for that position. But you know what happened at the end of the year to the Cali? They eliminated all of those positions. <laughs> Every single one of those people who got that position at the end of the year, they were looking for another job. When I didn't get it, Sister Carolee, God told me to look somewhere else for another position. When I looked, get this, I looked on a Thursday. A position just like I was looking for was open and it closed on that Friday. I applied on Thursday. They call me in on Friday. They offer me the job on Saturday. Get this. The job that I was applying for was more money and more and more responsibility that I didn't get. The job that I got was more money and less responsibility. I wish <laughs> I wish y'all I wish y'all were here with me. Uh, God Was turning. I said God was turning that situation. I didn't understand which direction God was turning me. But what I realized is he was turning me. My face to look in another direction. And sometimes God's turning you. Not so you get back to where you were. I don't need a 360. Because if I do a 360. Then I'm back where I was. But God allowed that now to turn me. And when I turned, I said, oop, there's another open position. And what I'm telling somebody today is God's turning you. So that He you can see what He sees. I wish you were in here with me. He's turning you. So you'll stop looking what you're looking at. And He'll turn you so you can see what God sees. Somebody say, Turn it, Lord. God's turning that thing around. Now, I, I have to finish. I got to get, get to my last mother here. I talked about my wife. Reminds me of Ruth. I talked about my mother-in-law. She reminds me of Mary when Jesus turned the water into wine. I talked about my mother. She reminds me of the Shunammite woman having great faith. And the final mother I'm going to talk about is my grandma, Dorothy Christman. And she reminds me of Hannah. First Samuel 1 and 17, the English Standard Version. Then Eli answered. Go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. We know that Hannah was praying to God. Hannah had, been, had, Hannah had been pestered by her adversary, which was the other wife. And while she was being pestered by her adversary, it drove her to pray. So she prayed in the temple to the Lord that she would have a son. And she said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll turn him over to you. She was praying so earnestly out of her pain. She was praying so earnestly out of her disappointment. She was praying so honestly out of her barrenness that Eli thought she was drunk. It's like this woman is muttering. Her her lips are moving, but no words are coming out. But she said, don't don't think me a drunkard. Don't think that of me. She said, I have an earnest petition that I'm offering to the Lord. And Eli spoke over her life and said, basically, whatever you're praying for, let it be done to you. Those who know my grandmother, you know, she's a praying woman. Grandma wake up praying. Grandma go to sleep praying. Grandma pray to herself while she's sitting alone. Grandma start prayer in the middle of talking to you. Grandma break out in prayer during regular service. Grandma took all her children and her grandchildren to noonday prayer. Grandma surrounded us with prayer. Grandma even pray and rub your back in the middle of a hug. Some of you have gotten some of those prayers. Grandma loves to pray, and even sometimes in moments, when she's down, when she's by herself, you'll hear her talking, and she' was speaking words of prayer. Grandma has always known how to pray. Hannah here is exhausted. she's tried everything else she knows to try. She's at the end of her rope, and she's praying desperately. That's why Eli thought she was drunk. And then he speaks over her. May it be done for you, even as you have asked. I want to speak that over somebody's life right now, because somebody in here is praying for something. If you're in here praying for something, I just want you to lift both of your hands right there. Somebody in here is praying for something. Somebody you're at home. I want you to lift your hands with us. We're agreeing as touching right now. I don't know what it is that you're praying for. I don't know what it is that you have need of, but I'm declaring right now, even by the word of the Lord, that may it be done to you, even as you have asked, even the exact way that you've asked of God. May it be done to you while you have your hands lifted. I just want you to imagine the hand of God, just like the hand of my grandmother gently rubbing your back gently speaking into you and declaring into you that thing that you prayed for that it shall be done that increase is coming into your life that deliverance is coming into your life that healing is coming into your life that God is mending relationships right now that God is wiping away your frustration and your discomfort and your tears That he's ministering to you even exactly as you have asked him to do. May it be done to you even right now in the name of Jesus. For those in the sanctuary, I ask that you stand to your feet. Stand to your feet as we pray and believe and trust God. I just want to say, I thank God for my wife that reminds me of Ruth and her loyalty. Thank God for my mother-in-law, Calla, who reminds me of Mary and her wisdom. Praise God for my mom, Brenda, who reminds me of the Shunammite woman and her faith. And I thank God for my grandmother, Dorothy, who reminds me of Hannah, in teaching us how to pray and trust God. With those hands lifted, why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, We thank God for mothers. Lord, we thank God for women of faith. Lord, we thank God for the examples that you laid forth even in your word. Help us, Lord, to be like Ruth. Let's never sever our connection to your promise. Help us, Lord, to be like Mary. Let us speak with wisdom and trust. Whatever we speak to Jesus that he has the power to do it. Help us to be like the woman of Shunem, Lord, that Shunemite woman. Lord, help us to have faith in the middle of our circumstances and know even at our worst moment that God's got it, that God's got us. Lord, help us be like Hannah to understand that even the most impossible thing, we can pray to you. And there is nothing that's impossible to you We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. Come on and give God some praise in this house. Come on and give God some praise. Come on and give him some praise. For those of you who've been joining us virtually, we praise God for you. We pray that you'll be a blessing to your mother, that you'll embrace them, that you'll love them. To everybody else connected to you in your life, that you'll take this time to speak good words over them. Let them know you love them while they yet live. Until we shall see you again, be blessed. I hope and pray that each of you are touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by Giveify. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two lines. And in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.